Hello, everybody, and welcome to the season one premiere of Upper Bounds, the podcast for students that are tired of being boundless. Upper Bounds is hosted by yours truly, Christy McManigal. And Kyle Nyholm. On this first episode, we talk about a nationally famous student that attended the University of Washington and all through the lives of many in a not-so-fantastic way. Today, we discuss Ted Bundy. Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell in Burlington, Vermont on November 24th, 1946. It's actually not known who Ted's father was, but some suspect that it was actually his mother's father. He was born in a home for unwed mothers. And so for those who don't really know, a home for unwed mothers is, it's kind of interesting, it's kind of a school and a home. When young women who weren't married and were obviously underage got pregnant, it was, I guess, taboo to keep them in a normal school system. So schools would have them shipped out to these little, like, basically boarding schools called Homes for Unwed Mothers. And these are really popular. There's still some in Oregon. Like, they're not functioning now, but they were functioning up until the 60s, I believe, because my grandma was working in them at the time. This is actually a pretty normal trend in America, just remove women from the school system and then place them while they're carrying their children. Send them to wretched hives of scum and villainy. Well, yeah, and the worst part of it, too, is that there's a lot of trends with the um, racial demographics there. It's usually Native American women or women who've been raped and were not allowed to have abortions at the time. It is thought that her father might have raped her and that conceived Ted Bundy. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So Ted was actually raised believing his mother was his sister and his grandparents were her parents. Once he found out, he held lifelong resentment towards his mother for this. Did they explain why he was angry at his mother? Was he angry at the fact that she lied or the fact that she had a child out of wedlock? Because she lied. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd want to know who my father was. I think I do. I hope <laughs> I do. Good old grandpappy, who was raising Ted as his son, was actually a tyrannical bully and a bigot who beat his wife and dog, and he swung cats around by their tails. <sighs> Oh Interesting God. hobby, but back in the 1940s. He sounds like Tom Sawyer, to be honest. He may be. Mm. Who knows? He would also sometimes speak aloud to unseen presences. But later in life, Bundy actually said that he identified with his grandfather, would... kind of idolized him. Oh, interesting. So even though like he sees this awful person in his household, because he's still a father figure, he kind of respected him and identified with him? I don't know why he respected oh. him, but he did. Okay. Maybe it was the 
cat swinging. I don't know. <laughs> Do they ever talk about his grandfather having schizophrenia? Because not... he's talking to unseen presences, which is... Well, not... I didn't read anything that said that. But at the same time, back then, who even knew what schizophrenia was? The dude was just, you know, quote-unquote crazy. But to so. be fair, like, well, just... I only bring it up because if his grandpappy did father Ted Bundy, and, like, we theorize that grandpappy has schizophrenia, it would actually make a lot of sense because there's a 60% chance to pass it on to your children if you conceive children while having this mental illness. So if grandpappy had it, Ed Bundy could have had it. And so it just adds onto the pile of awful things and weird things that go on in his mind. We're calling him grandpappy, but he might actually be he's, Ted's father. I know. So I mean, little, like, he's both. I know. Creepy. That's some Game of Thrones stuff. So what was grandma like? We, so we got grandpappy, we got grandma, obviously, right? His grandma, who was actually his grandma, not technically his mother. Mm-hmm. She was just, you know, classic 1940s, quiet and obedient. Uh, oh, what she, a good wife. She underwent electroconvulsive therapy for depression periodically, okay. which really sucks. Uh, That's all I have to say so, about that. Okay, okay. That's sad. It was a terrible practice back yeah. then. It, it, it's refined a little bit. So Ted was always a little weird. Ted's aunt once woke up from a nap to find herself surrounded by knives with Ted standing nearby and grinning. That would be a great scene for a Ted Bundy movie. Just saying. That's included in every single biography on Ted Bundy. but It's it's, weird. It's so... I feel like it's kind of insignificant compared to everything else. But it's just like, oh, Ted, like, to surround people. I don't know. I feel like when you talk about serial killers, you always talk about their childhood actions. Because people are always like, oh, did he abuse animals or whatever. And, like, I don't know if Ted Bundy abused animals or not. But this is a nice little, like, thing to toss into the pot. I don't have anything on here that talks about him maiming animals, but I'm 90% sure he did. Mr. Ted Cowell became Ted Bundy around 1950. So Ted's mother changed her last name from Cowell to Nelson and Ted's last name from Cowell to Nelson when they moved to Tacoma, Washington. So there she met Johnny Culpepper Bundy, who married Ted's mom and adopted Ted, thus changing his name to Ted Bundy. I think in Germany, he's actually known as Ted Bundesliga. That's an awesome last name, just saying. I would like that. It sounds cool. That's not true. Oh, okay. Damn it. (laughs) That's the name for their soccer league. It sounds cool. That sounded cool to me. I don't know anything about German, so I fell for that. So we have Ted Bundy's childhood, and we actually got to the genesis of the Ted Bundy name. And so now we move on to his teenager years, so we know that he moved to Tacoma. He's in Tacoma now. And so he kind of was a weird scamp as a teenager. He roamed around neighborhoods, and he would pick through trash to look for pictures of naked women. And he loved Pulp Detective Comics. So the the word Pulp Detective Comics actually relates to the name Pulp Fiction, the movie. Because Pulp is a type of literature, for those who don't know. It's like really crappy. just It's awful, awful literature. It's cheap, usually, too. He really liked these Pulp Detective Comics. And as the stories often included pictures of dead or maimed female bodies. So... Mm. added to the spank bank there. So as a typical teenager, he would drink lots of alcohol. But what's not so typical is he would canvas the community in search of undraped windows <laughs> so he could look for naked women or whatever could be seen. And I don't know about Kyle here. I was never a teenage boy, although my uh, driver's license says otherwise or looks otherwise. But I don't think Kyle ever... Did, did you ever check through windows to look for some naked cougars? Well, I also never lived in Tacoma. So I think that's just like their national, their local their pastime? pastime, yeah. Oh, ooh. So circumstantial evidence also suggests that while Ted Bundy was living in Tacoma, around the age of 14, he abducted and killed his first victim, which was an eight-year-old girl who had lived nearby. So Ted Bundy always denied this, and he denied having any of the disappearance, but there's some correlation it's there. It's pretty good circumstantial evidence. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did it, but... <laughs> 
He was always very you think disconnected we, from mm. his uh, from his killings. Whatever he would confess to them, he would talk about them in the third person. Yes, it was very interesting. He didn't want to like admit that he actually did it. Admit it to himself. Mm-hmm. So he probably did it. So he also went to high school in Tacoma. He went to Woodrow Wilson High School. Is it still is that still functioning now? It is. Oh, if any UW students went there, lucky you guys. That's that's some that's some historic places there. And he would tell interviewers that he chose to be alone as a teenager because he couldn't understand interpersonal relationships, which does make sense with people who are mentally disturbed. You can't really connect to other people. You have a hard time empathizing and socializing and things like that. He said he didn't know what underlay social interactions, but classmates described him as being well liked and well known. He's I believe he was described as very charismatic to women as he was as he got older and older. He was charismatic to women. When he was abducting women, he would chat them up and it was probably oh, yeah. Apparently that kind of happened more after high school. Well, I'm saying it it all builds up. So, you know, as he's developing his character. Mm -hmm. He also enjoyed skiing. He did it with stolen equipment and forged lift tickets. Nice. Patterns of crime emerging in okay, but come on, years. skiing's expensive. Who wouldn't forge a ticket? Like Kyle said, that he would forge tickets. He also was arrested a couple of times for burglary and auto theft. Good old Ted graduated high school in 1965. Then he spent a year at the University of Puget Sound before transferring to UW. He initially studied Chinese here, and he lived in McMahon Hall. So if any of you listeners are uh, living in McMahon right now, maybe listening in McMahon... There's a chance Ted Bundy shared your room. Isn't that special? I would not sleep at night, to be honest. Feel a little bit creepy. I have gone to what is reportedly the cluster that Ted Bundy lived in, but it's a women's cluster, so I couldn't enter without looking that, very creepy. That they didn't stop you? Buy, they probably wouldn't buy the excuse that I was there to, to check out Ted Bundy's old room, you know? I don't think they'd appreciate that very much. <laughs> so in 1967... He met fellow UW classmate Stephanie Brooks, or that's her pseudonym in Ted Bundy biographies. They never give you their real names because they don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was rich, successful, and beautiful. Everything you could want in a woman. So obviously... Where's the personality? What? Where's personality? Good. What's that? <laughs> in uh, early 1968, Ted dropped out and he worked some minimum wage jobs. Stephanie Brooks didn't like this. She broke up with Ted because of his immaturity and lack of ambition, something I can definitely relate to. So Are I you feel Stephanie or are you Ted? I'm Ted. You're Ted? Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that on, on record. So devastated, heartbroken, poor old Ted, he moved east eventually enrolling at Temple University. It's believed by some, so it was there that he discovered that his mom was actually masquerading as his sister for years, and his sister was really his mom. That's kind of messed up. Still don't know who the father is for sure, which Mm. is weird. By uh, the fall of 1969, Bundy was back in Washington State where he met Elizabeth Klopfer. Klopfer? Klopfer? Clofer? I don't know. She was a secretary for the UW School of Medicine. By then, Ted was focused, goal-oriented. He was sufficiently boundless enough to re-enroll at UW as a psych major. He was an honor student, and he was well-liked by his professors. So I can really relate to that, except I'm not an honor student, and I'm not well-liked by my professors. But Kyle is a psych major. He then took a job at Seattle Suicide Hotline Crisis Center, where he worked alongside Ann Rule who would later become a prolific true crime writer, which is kind of kind of funny, you know. She actually later wrote the definitive Bundy biography entitled The Stranger Beside Me, 
it's a great read if anybody ever wants to uh you know, read up on Ted Bundy and get introduced to Anne Rule. She's also got some pretty good interviews. She was not shy about talking about what she had experienced. Of course, she didn't experience that much sitting next to Ted Bundy, but her awareness of him because he was just a very kind worker. He was well-liked and he was pretty good at his job, apparently. Mm -hmm. She remembered those aspects of him and she actively talked about it after Ted Bundy was accused of these murders. You can find audio footage on that too. She also has a great little relaxed old woman voice. Yeah. Mm very soothing to listen to. Ted graduated in 1972. He joined Governor Daniel J. Evans' re-election campaign then. After Evans' re-election, Bundy was hired as an assistant to Ross Davis, who is chairman of the Washington State Republican Party. So Ted kind of started a little political career here. A little creepy to know that people like this can get this far in politics, but, you know, Donald Trump's our president, Make, so... It makes sense. We, not if surprised. we look at who's in the Senate right now. In early 1973, he was accepted into the law schools of UPS and University of Utah. His LSAT scores were pretty poor, but his letters of recommendation from Evans Davis and UW psych professors were enough to admit him. So good on those UW psych professors. And it's pretty motivating to us UW kids. It's okay if you have shit scores. If you're well-liked and you can talk your way into anything, you can even get into law school. Don't let scores bound you. Be boundless. Isn't the point to not be boundless? We're setting bounds here. Our podcast is called Upper Bounds. We're talking about possible bounds. Mm, okay. Like Ted Bundy. He was kind of bounded by his need to kill women. So Bundy then rekindled his relationship with Stephanie Brooks. He was successful. He was a politician. He was going to... He wasn't a politician. He has he a status, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was going to law school. You know, he was going to make it big. He was going to be like... What's the guy from American Psycho? I forgot his name. I did, too. Oh, well. So Bundy then rekindled his relationship with Stephanie Brooks. You know, he's, he's a politician. He, he's getting involved in politics. He's going to law school. He's going to make it big. But he was also dating... Klopfer Klup, at the same time without Stephanie Brooks knowing and Klopfer didn't know that he was dating Stephanie Brooks so neither of them knew that the other even existed and nice. somehow he kept a great relationship with both of them that takes skills I'm gonna be honest Stephanie Brooks and Ted so their relationship grew super strong you know they're in love the two talked of engagement but and then in January 1974, he just abruptly ended all contact, not returning calls or letters. They lived in different states at the time. So Ted was, I think, in Utah. Stephanie Brooks was in Washington. Mm -hmm. So they were just corresponding. And then he just decided to end it. And once Stephanie was finally able to reach him by phone months later, she asked why he did such a thing. And he calmly said, Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean, and hung up. He says he just wanted to prove to himself that he could marry her. That <sighs> is some dedication. That is a long con. That was a close one, let's be honest. If they kept their relationship up, who knows what happened to her? He never would think... have married her. Well, I not married her, but like kept up the relationship to the point where he like felt he should destroy her physically. With that thought in mind, we have to move into the murders because this is where things start actually occurring. And we don't actually technically know who his first victims are. He didn't really have any straight stories. He would change them frequently. But on January 4th, 1974, this is the time he broke up with Brooks. He broke into a basement apartment of an 18-year-old girl named Karen Sparks. And Sparks was a dancer, and she was also a student at the University of Washington. 
and he bludgeoned her with a metal rod and then sexually assaulted her with it. And she was able to survive it, but had permanent disabilities. These are very violent crimes. And then on February 1st, he broke into another basement. And this was of Linda Ann Healy, who was another UW undergrad. And with her, he beat her and then dressed her in jeans, a white blouse and boots and then abducted her. What was he going for that? He had a thing for like dressing up the women usually after he killed them, but he would dress them up and put makeup on them. All right, I remember that. I don't know why he did it while she was still alive. Usually it's because uh, serial killers are kind of trying to learn their their MO. They're still, mm. they're still working through it, haven't perfected it yet. Don't know what really gets them going. All right, so he takes Healy, he hits her, and does things to her. He dresses her up. He abducts her. So that night, Healy and her friends had been at the now-closed Dante's Tavern, which is on Roosevelt. It was really great. It got burned down. They couldn't fix it. That's um, appropriate for a place called Dante's Tavern that it burned down. <laughs> right? So from there, Ted followed her home, and her skull was found a year later on Taylor Mountain, but nothing else. And the mountain is now referred to as Bundy's Graveyard. Healy was not the first skull to be found in this area. And so then female college students will start disappearing at the rate about one per month. And he took the road and abducted and murdered women from Evergreen State College. That's also in Washington State. It's a little bit south. He also abducted women from Central Washington University and even Oregon State University. To be honest, it's not that much to do in Corvallis, so. But witnesses often describe a man wearing an arm sling or using crutches asking for help or carrying a load of books to his tan Volkswagen Beetle. This reminds me a lot about that scene from Silence of the Lambs. Kyle and I have watched it. We both like the movie. Buffalo Bill, that's the serial killer in that movie. That's how he abducted his woman. He acted like he was injured and needed help carrying a couch into his van. And then he was able to abduct women that way. It's safe to say that uh, that was based on Ted's MO. Well, yeah. So like that's the most Silence of the Lambs. When they created their characters, they would take aspects of multiple different serial killers and then combine them to make both Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill. And so then we go back. So now we're on June 1st. And so he's back in Seattle. And then a woman was abducted after leaving the Flame Tavern, now Fiesta del Mar. I don't know where that is, personally. I don't know either, but if any of you do know... Check it out. Yeah. And then 10 days later, on June 11th, the UW student, Georgian Hawking, was visiting her boyfriend at the Beta Theta Pi frat house. She exited the back door and only needed to make it to six houses down the alley to Kappa Alpha Theta. But she was abducted between Beta Theta Pi and Kappa Alpha Theta. And is that why we have the Sky Bridge or no? Legend says yes. I don't know if that's actually why people in that house probably know more than I do. And they probably don't really want I'm, to talk about it. I'm actually either. not in that sorority, believe it or not. <laughs> Three days later, on July 14th, two women were abducted from Lake Sammamish Park in Issaquah. Witnesses also say that a handsome young man asked for help unloading a sailboat from his Volkswagen Beetle. So the, these four women refused, but one offered to help him, but ran once she realized that there wasn't actually an entire sailboat in the car. Who the fuck thinks there's a sailboat in a Volks... Okay, so I this is awful to say, but this is Darwinism. Who thinks there's a sailboat in a Volkswagen? It's a classic ruse, you know? It's like, hey, I need help unloading my spaceship from my from my bicycle. Can you help me? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's reasonable. So she runs once she realizes that there's not an entire sailboat in the car. But two victims were still successfully taken. Ted said he made one watch as the other was murdered. And this concludes the last of what happens in Washington. He then goes to, he goes to Utah, kills some people, gets arrested, escapes, gets arrested, escapes, goes to Florida. Florida shit goes down. Brutally breaks into a sorority 
and then just kills a few women there and maims them. Some of well, them. Well, what's are... really impressive is so Ted Bundy. I can't remember what sorority he breaks into at Florida State University, but anyways, he breaks into the sorority and did he kill six women? It's around six. He, I believe, it's around six. He, um, some of them survived. Most of them didn't. He murders them. And he does them with objects in their rooms. He does it quietly and quickly enough that no one suspects anything. The house is occupied. There were other people awake at the time while these women were killed. He did it within the span of 15 minutes and nobody heard anything, which is just mind-blowing that that could happen. Mm -hmm. I believe the first woman he attacked actually survived. She had a severely fractured skull and other, she was blind in one eye and other disabilities, but she was able to make it afterwards. I think it's fair to say Ted Bundy was a bit of a douche. Uh, okay. We don't support him. Is douche the right adjective? He was a bit of a lot of things. So his childhood home in Tacoma was recently renovated last year. Somebody bought the house to flip it. They didn't know of its history. They didn't know that a young little Ted Bundy once lived there. He lived there at age nine until his family later moved to North End. The contractor's daughter refused to be alone in the house, said it felt a little weird. That's when they began to notice that things were not going well. The first time they re-entered the house, every cabinet and drawer in the house was opened. Despite it being supposedly locked, there was nobody else in the house. Workers once spotted the words, help me, written on the glass of a basement window. A heavy dresser inset in the upstairs hallway fell on its own. Supposedly, it needed several people to even move it an inch. Oh, Lord. Electronic devices would become unplugged and immediately die. This is perhaps the scariest part. You know, phones, electronic devices, dying, terrifying. The contractor asked the neighbors about the occurrences, and that's when he learned that Ted Bundy lived there for a time. The realtors didn't say anything, which I think is kind of <laughs> kind of rude. So then this this dude is like, well, clearly there are demons or ghosts or something here. So he then decides he needs a priest, and of course, he goes to the one place where you go to if you need a priest. He goes to Puyallup. So he, uh, he brings two pastors. They went from room to room, reading scriptures and saying blessings. They suggested listening to Christian music while working and writing Bible verses on the walls. I don't know if this worked. I doubt it. I kind of doubt that anything happened at all, personally. That just seems a little... Little or, hokey, especially because Ted wasn't killing anybody while he lived in this home. So why would there be? Why, why would, would there, there be ghosts? Because also, like, why would he go back to Tacoma of all things if there was a Ted Bundy ghost flying around? I feel like Tacoma is just kind of a vortex of terrible. So maybe his spirit was drawn back to Tacoma because it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. My friend, my roommate, and I recently went to what was supposedly Ted Bundy's old house in Seattle really close by to campus. Turns out I lived right next to it. We went there. It's now the Identity Apartments. So... Oh, really? If you live in the Identity Apartments, you know, keep an eye out for anything spooky if you believe in that stuff. And this is where we leave you guys. So thank you guys for tuning in to the Ted Bundy episode of Upper Bounds. Look out for our next episode on a UW student who was wanted for murder. Tune in next Thursday to find out who that was. If you have any topics you'd like to hear us discuss or know ways to help us stop being boundless, please email us at podcast at dailyudub.com.
science, technology, engineering, and math. My name is Prapanit Dua, and I host a podcast called Women in STEM, where I sit down and talk with men and women in different STEM fields about where their careers have taken them, and I also discuss important issues surrounding women in these fields. Join me every other Tuesday on the Soundbite Network from the University of Washington. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.